You know how with some people who end up becoming really important, really big parts of your life, you can't quite remember how it started? That's sort of where I'm at here trying to come up with an introduction to this episode. I think I got to know Antonia first of all through this night that we used to run where we paired uh, an unsuspecting poet with a team of improvisers, Impossible Machine. And I think I think that was our very first interaction was me putting her on stage and having her read her poems and having a bunch of crazy people respond to them. She took that extremely well. <laughs> she took that all in her stride. And then I remember later on that night we were sitting around chatting in the front bar of long play and she said you know you should come to my yoga class and I had a bunch of excuses as to why I wasn't going to do that uh, because at the time I was so wrapped up in that whole improv thing but then that all went away and all of a sudden I had a lot of time and I did start to go to Antonia's class And then I didn't really understand how I had done without it. At some point, uh, I read Antonia's piece, Anatomy of a Trigger, and also her piece, the writer Antonia Pont versus Envy. She has a really great essay on procrastination too. I'm going to link to all of these. And I think maybe six months after I started attending her classes, I decided to interview Antonia. I was in a real state that day, but Antonia was brilliant. And that is the episode that I always point people to if they're wondering where to start with Poetry Says. It's not exactly a representative chat, although we do talk about Antonia's wonderful book. You will not know in advance what you feel. Um, but I think it's a really it's a really excellent conversation, mainly because she just carries the whole thing. And I'm so proud of it that it ended up being the one that I put forward to Cordite when they asked me for an interview to turn into a written piece. Um, and that exists, again, through a whole bunch of heavy lifting on Antonia's part. Uh, that, that interview is titled, Pessimism is Very Imprecise which might be my favorite thing that anyone's ever said on this show. I recommend you go and listen to that. But I have been wanting to get Antonia back on the show basically since then. And I think about halfway through last year, she gave a paper at the University of Melbourne that I decided just had to be part of this show. Not because it has anything really to do with poetry at all, Except that I think it has everything to do with poetry because it is about existing within and finding ways to deal with, resist, withstand the pressures that um, are brought to bear on all of us as we go about our daily lives. It is called To Lose Interest in Self-Improvement or Organization on Other Terms. So what I got Antonia to do in this conversation is to basically read parts of the article, zero in on key ideas, and we take it from there and we go into a whole bunch of different corners. 
I, I really want to underscore this because I think as a teacher, Antonia is very excellent at doing this herself. These are in no way prescriptions or, or definites, these ideas that we're talking about. And as a teacher, Antonia has a wonderful ability to offer things as ideas, almost as play things, as something to consider, to test out, to experiment with, but never to take as instruction, as you must do this if you don't do this you are not following the rules. So I would expect, and I I think she would agree with this, that there would be threads in this conversation that would be unfamiliar, maybe slightly confusing, but hopefully interesting. And there would be parts where you disagree. And I think for both of us, that's, that's a really positive thing. But I'm really excited about the ideas that we talk about in this conversation because they are ideas that are close to my heart and I have skirted around them and come close to them most particularly in that episode I did about the fucking flower, (laughs) the self-improvement flower where I talked about um, Les Murray's poem An Absolutely Ordinary Rainbow and this stupid poster that is up at my work um, encouraging everybody to use various strategies to feel better and get back to their desk. So that's some context for you to go into this conversation with. What I also want to give you is just the first five or six sentences of this article, which you'll hear pretty early on as we dive into this. But um, I want you to hear it twice just because I think it's just easier to get your bearings if you do. So the title is to lose interest in self-improvement or organization on other terms. And Antonia writes, here is the crux of my provocation today. We try to be well because we are afraid not to be productive. We want to be productive because it is a dominant marker of neoliberal virtue, visibility, survival. What would it look like if we were to experiment with forms of self-organization and modes of collecting ourselves that were subtracted from and disinterested in wellness as productivity insurance. Could we dwindle our interest in kinds of self-improvement to make space for other commitments and experiments? So that's where we're going to start. I'll be back at the end. I hope you enjoy. Want to keep up with your busy day-to-day life? We get it. Life is busy. If you need to adjust your schedule to accommodate childcare, caregiving or sickness, please trust we will work with you to be as flexible as possible. Work-related stress, depression or anxiety led to 70 million lost working days in 2015. Multivitamin for Women has been specifically formulated with 18 nutrients that support women's metabolism and mental concentration. (laughs) Well, it's nothing worse if artists feel... I think, uh, squashed under the things we're going to discuss. Totally. So it it does pertain to kind of creative, uh, let's not say freedom, that's a bit aspirational, let's just say wriggle room. Mm -hmm. A little bit of artistic wriggle room, you know, doesn't go astray. Yep. So the title is called To Lose Interest in Self-Improvement or Organisation on Other Terms. Here is the crux of my provocation. 
We try to be well because we are afraid not to be productive. We want to be productive because it is a dominant marker of neoliberal virtue, visibility and survival. What would it look like were we to experiment with forms of self-organisation and modes of collecting ourselves that were subtracted from and disinterested in wellness if we see this as often a productivity insurance? And could we dwindle our interest in kinds of self-improvement to make space for other commitments and experiments? Part one. Via a Christmas present, I acquired a running singlet from the brand which shall not be named. Printed along the inside hem are the words, you race you. Discreet, it's just for me to read as I wrangle the singlet over my head before and after bouts of shuffling in the open air. This is the same brand that, for a time, provided its customers with bags sporting a tapestry of ideological wellness quotes. You race you is meant to convey something nice, I, I guess, something to which one, no one cannot relate. It hovers between marketing flourish and ideological thumbscrew. You race you espouses an inflection of competitiveness to soften the problematic of racing others. Competing with yourself offers an effective and even convivial way to self-improve. You race you is a conceptual sleight of hand which wants to dissolve any uneasiness around competition, its reach, its vibe, its imperative, to lure us with what, as if naturally, we are trained to want, that is, betterment, to be a unit that labours better. Competitiveness here is shifted into the heart of the person. Its verb is affirmed, its overarching naturalness is affirmed, but we now do it with ourselves. I think that my singlet slogan exposes in the most explicit way, even an hilarious way, what is at stake in wellness as a neoliberal formation. So you cite a couple of paragraphs on a writer called Simon Springer who defines neoliberal as the extension of competitive markets into all areas of human activity, which mm. is a definition that I'm pretty happy with, mm. but I wonder if you want to talk about your own, how you think about that word yourself. I think I quoted that shortly after this section because I think there's something about, and this has to do with empire, I think, in terms of empire as the United States of America empire and things that one's meant to like there, <laughs> I guess. And I feel like, you know, as someone who doesn't live in the United States of America, but who inherits many of its, um, of its, I don't know, its ideological whispers, it's as if, if you were to say, I don't know if I like competition, someone would say, don't be ridiculous. That's what we are. And so it becomes, it doesn't even become an option. It doesn't even become something that you might like as a kind of taste you have and other people might like I don't know crochet but it's like everyone really does like that and if you don't like it it's as if you're not even participating it's as if the only game to play is a competitive game and you either like it and therefore phew you're on the right side of the line of humans who might survive or you don't like it and then well what what could happen to you my gosh you know just you're a lost cause and you're not helping yourself etc so I think Simon Springer's naming of that and linking it to a specific socioeconomic 
uh, 20th and 21st century phenomenon is just really helpful because it's almost in the woodwork. It's, it's really hard to pull it out of solution and see it as something that one could direct critique at, that one could just contemplate like, do I? Do I find that fun? Is that what I want to do with my time? Um, yeah, so I think, I think his definition is, is great. And I think Wendy Brown's definition, I may, I may misquote her here, is about sort of the extending of the econ- like economization into every sphere of life. So the two of them are on the same thing. There's something that neoliberalism does where it doesn't just sort of say in, in the realm of business, do X. It's sort of the realm of business is the only realm. We are only creatures doing business and doing transactions. That's all we are. And it's, I think that sort of that sort of lull, that thing that sort of whispers to us that that's really true and there is nothing else is, is pretty per- pervasive. I was, as you know, I've been camping this weekend and um, my partner and I went and saw a waterfall and there were four girls with, I think there were three tripods with, with iPhone video set up. And they were all frolicking in the water in a very expressive way. <laughs> and another one in the water had a camera. And, and I, you know, I joked to my partner that, you know, like they're making sure that their weekend is productive. They won't come away oh, from their absolutely. Sunday. They won't come away from their Sunday without, with empty hands. They have material to work with. They're maximizing their, you know, <laughs> their self, I don't know, their self-promotion productivity. Like it's kind of wild. And I suspect that, you know, they would have no interest in what I'm saying, or maybe they would. But the question is whether there's a tiny little flicker of, do I have to do this today? I just wanted to troop down to the waterfall and not have a camera on me and be really cold and squeal a lot with my friends. But there's this extra layer that's added to the, and it's a kind of, it's a labor actually. It's, It's turning oneself into a product at every moment. Well, honestly, you're just reminding me actually that after I saw you give this talk, I had two thoughts. One of them was, God, I want to get this on the podcast. And the second one was, oh, so you want to turn it into content? <laughs> you dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> but let's move past that. The We're other- in the realm of paradox here. It's, not, it's very, it's, it's, it's tricky. There's a few, there's a few straining uh, logics that are hard to navigate. Yeah. So wellness uh, is the other term that we should add we should tease out properly before we go any further you describe it you say that it describes things like physiotherapy but also beverages hair salons and weekends away as we've just been talking about are there any other things you want to say about what that word is what it refers to I mean, I know that's. Basically I think the I whole think thing. it's a perfectly innocent word. You know, I'm sure someone invented it. I put ness on the end of lots of things, and mm. you know, they were trying to encapsulate a whole kind of field. I think it's more the way it gets mobilised makes it less innocent as a word, in a, in a sense. And so, I'm just alert to it. I think I'm alert, not really to it as a word, and not to, not even to discrete examples of it. You know, someone feels whatever a pain in their hip of course they want to try and see a practitioner who's skillful and get rid of it of course that's what we do it's more that it's sort of there's something about the linking of all of those fields that all get the same word um, that i guess makes me prick up my suspicion and there's something about the it's it's again it's the gapless assuming that Everyone wants to maximize and be their very, very best. It's like that expression that I joke about, you know, like the idea of living my best life. I mean, that, that's an innocent sentence, 
but something in me knows there's something off about it. Not really as a sentence that was said poetically, spontaneously at some point, but mm. it's, it's, it's traction, like how often you hear people describing, well, you know, those girls in the waterfall were living their best life and they were making sure there was a trace that someone would know they were living their best life, of course. Right? Yeah. And yeah, that's, there's, there's something about, I think, wellness as a, it's, it's the fact that it describes so many things. And maybe the point is that we don't quite know what it's describing, really. Like, what does it really mean to not harm yourself too much? Does, is that what it means, wellness? Is, is there an innocent aim behind it or is is there something that that it's another thing that we are not doing enough of that's the other thing yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. it's always something that you're not quite doing enough of and I think mm. I think in the paper I speak about sort of the shame that people have then if they don't wish to engage with that yeah I'm going to come to that next I'm going to get you to read this next bit starting at that little pink corner there you can see sure. I've scribbled all over this part thank you thank you so people can feel terribly ashamed about their failing to meet the wellness standard. Um, it is furthermore a chilling example of the apparently benign or the ostensibly nice and nevertheless this thing extending its harmful atmosphere and obviousness in stealthy and less stealthy ways. Neoliberalism is so good at pleasing its audience, at getting us on board. We whom it nevertheless is in the process of slowly impoverishing and deliberately excluding. The capitulation at the level of thought into which neoliberalism manages to lure folk is both wildly bewildering and not at all surprising, since it goes via the reliable means of meeting us at our lowest common denominator of capacity. That means we are always at risk of being greedy, hateful and ignorant, as the grittier Buddhists keep in sight. Neoliberalism thus woos us with all number of conveniences, the necessity for which it has generated as it colonises time and dissolves boundaries between work and not work, the public and the private. Together this makes folk even more vulnerable to the siren's call of hacking life and enter wellness. <laughs> hacking life. Yeah, so on the day that I started putting together my questions for you, I had just been to my doctor to get more my next six sessions on my mental health care plan and I did the little test and she was like these are terrible Scots this is really really bad and um it's there's a couple of things the reason I bring that up is first of all it's a it is a bit of a source of shame for me that I can't handle the world as it is but I also feel just very got good taste thanks <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, that's also kind of what I'm coming to, is that I have a very strong belief underneath that shame is that I shouldn't have to. Like, there's... I'm currently in a job that I'm very ill-suited for, and I'm going to finish it up in a couple of months so everyone can stop hearing me complain about it. But it's this tension between I just have to suck it up sometimes and I just have to deal, mm -hmm. but also um, the, the weird thing about that conversation with the doctor is like we're both kind of saying to each other that I'm not coping and we want to acknowledge that but we want to do it in such a way where I will then leave her space and go off 
and see my psychologist so that I can continue to do my job that I hate. Mm. And it just seems so like, I don't know, circular or something, mm -hmm. just like, mm -hmm. why? I mean, obviously money is the answer here, but mm -hmm. like, why am I doing that? Yeah, I don't know, I feel like I've just led you to a dead end there. No, but. Well, no I think you haven't. Well, it's, it, is the, it is the dead end that is the question of this, I think, mm. is that because we have been so careless about neoliberalism and we here are innocent people who have kids, are tired, can't be watching every single small nasty little economic invention or, you know, um, capitalist invention really. You know, you think about apps that put heaps of people in touch with accommodation, right? Mm. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's an invention that's sort of really nasty and really exploitative and we all love them. So that's done now, it's been invented. So all of these things get invented. I think about this a lot, it's like there's a lot of inventiveness, there's a lot of human ingenuity in the things that we now suffer from in, in, in a first world way because mm. there's other sufferings elsewhere, obviously. So I think the, 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 the fact that we can be working in jobs that we hate and then I think the idea that wellness becomes the thing that we should have done so we can not notice so much how much we hate the jobs that we do or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, it's a very different politics. It might even not look that different on the surface to knowing clearly that one doesn't like the job one, do, one does mm. and that it's very difficult and makes one feel quite bad a lot of the time. And people are in those jobs all over the place. Mm. Very, you know, working incredibly hard jobs that don't enliven them, let's mm. say. So, so then, then the question of whether one does wellness in order to suck it up better and more elegantly and looking better in your staff photo or whatever bullshit. Oh my God, the staff you know, photos, yeah, Antonio. So, yeah, for so example, that sort it. of thing. Or whether there's a, and the paper, I guess, is about this question of like, how would one, because I think my concern with, with wellness is it, because this is how capitalism works, it saturates the field. It says there's only wellness and being a heroin addict. Like, it's like it doesn't <laughs> give you many options. So you're either doing one or the other. And of course, the answer in all these scenarios is to, is to just sit back for a second and go, I don't quite believe your binary offerings here. Yeah, That's yeah, always yeah, the question. Yeah. I don't quite believe them. Might be true. Might, there might be only wellness or be, being a heroin addict or a kind of weird, sulky, I don't know, person who doesn't engage with the world it's like there's only yeah. those two options like there, there are other options and I would say at least there's one and it, there's as many as there are people inventing the ways they would like to in broken humble haphazard inconsistent ways the ways they might want to self-organize mm. and it won't go under the wellness vocab they may pursue it as a, at a place that has wellness on the sign that that might be where they can pursue that thing and it doesn't really matter except they're going to be bombarded with ideology the whole time that they're at the yoga class or at the gym or at the whatever. That's very difficult. Also the, because of the way wellness is out linked to funding outcomes as we say later in the paper. Mm. So I think I think you haven't led us to a dead end. You've led us to the question. Okay, good. <laughs> it's the question. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> I'm now going to show you, speaking of my job, which everyone on this show has just heard way too much about and I'm sorry and I will quit soon. Um, I want to show you this uh, picture of a printout that is on the door to the office and uh, I, I assume it was put there by our HR manager but yeah it's oh, amazing it's yeah. a, shall I describe it for the audience please yeah. so it's um it looks 
it looks like a, a, a love heart that's on, I don't know, some kind of speed. So it's a love heart with way too many petals. It's a flower. It's a flower. It's a rainbow flower it's with a, a love heart flower. at the centre where yes. the, the yellow bit would be with the pollen. That's what you're looking at, everyone. Yep. And in the centre of this love heart pollen section, there's three bits. There's see good, feel good and do good. And then there's a whole lot of, oh, more words for me to dislike. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. It's pretty special. Yeah, it's a bit special. Yeah. And I have I have devoted half of an episode to it already, so you don't yeah, have to go good. into okay. huge amounts so of detail. Great. But it's called Wellness Strategies. It's by someone who's very rich now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I like that it's just over the fire hose and there's something else in the it's above an are you okay poster yeah, yeah. so yeah. It's, it's do you think it's a sign that the business is aware that people don't enjoy working there it's a really big um issue at at my work but i'm sure so many other places where there was somebody said in a meeting once saying no is not an option something like that yeah well, also i mean i think there's something about neoliberalism that it's actually a bullying strategy and it it benefits the bully and it masks the bully it's there's bullying going on at every level yeah yeah and those small examples of inadvertent misery uh they're just there's they're they're wasting our world really but they can you know you can be months just going to bed every night fretting because actually someone at work is bullying you yeah and that's that's right the the lack of the option of no is is the test always yeah but i don't think organizations as they're currently structured are very good at handling no's maybe they can put that on their wellness agenda (laughs) (laughs) you're allowed to say no just for now just don't (laughs) but don't (laughs) but don't risk it yeah (laughs) feel like you can say no but don't ever risk it please yeah or you may find yourself losing your job and we won't say why yeah (laughs) um Further on, you do acknowledge that people may turn to wellness because they are suffering intolerably. And, but then you say, but wellness doesn't really take suffering very seriously. And it is very serious. And that is the thing that that, that flower mm-hmm. makes so explicit to me is that, you know, it's rainbow. It's got mm-hmm. little like, you know, sans serif font ideas about bullshit. And it's like, it's talking about stuff like dealing with a workplace bully, but it is not taking it at all seriously Mm, mm. um so that's one part that i think's really worth underscoring i want to come to the question of how of rejecting wellness Mm. the next question that you consider is whether escape from this situation is possible and you say it can feel like to organize the self in any way is to risk being aligned with wellness it's kind of like what we've just described, mm. but um, I was thinking too about the example of taking a walk in the bush and leaving your phone at home. Mm. All of a sudden you're doing a digital detox. That's <laughs> right. That's right. It's already got a name. It becomes folded back <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, beautiful. That's so beautiful. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I want to I quote another oh bit gosh. that I highlighted. Oh, that just hurt me, Alice, that, that example. That's very, I was very happy with that. <laughs> So you say, wellness is that orientation which croons. The current moment is sometimes challenging. This is this reminds me of like every conversation I've ever had with like a doctor or something. It is sometimes challenging. But the current moment offers you conveniently a salve to its brutality. 
if you'll only take up, i.e. buy, the techniques to, and deploy them. You will be equipped to exist within and endure this mode of not being dead. <laughs> Sorry, I was a bit cheeky, wasn't I? <laughs> but that's, that's what I feel like the conversations that I've been having recently are like. They're like, yeah, okay, well, we can keep you alive. Like, yeah, yep, yeah. no, that'll be fine. Great. Um, <laughs> In the face of this kind of sleazy proposition, it makes sense to reject the whole constellation. But then you say the system loves its own dissenters. So yeah, kind of where I might be leading myself with like being so goddamn grumpy about all this stuff is like, fuck it. Mm. No psychologist, mm. no medication. Mm. Yeah, I will, like, I'll just start smoking weed and I'll quit my job. Smoking champagne. Smoking champagne, as we, we decided we could do before. Um, or, or something like, I don't know, I, don't, I can't really think about what that, would, that yeah. rejection would yeah. look like for me because I'm such a good girl, but, like, something semi-nihilistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's also part of it, right? That's also folded back in. Well, I think, though, the... If, if you if we agree that there's only these two options which is simply that you get on board and and smile cheerfully and take up what's on offer and look at the flower every day on entry to the office or whatever <clears throat> and use that language when you talk to your friends about your feelings and when someone says are you okay there's a whole swathe of expressions you're meant to use to describe your whatever yeah oh things are a bit yeah fuck there's so many aren't there there's like these little pat answers that we've been trained to say as well mindfulness can help develop self-compassion which may enable you to non-judgmentally observe situations and help you manage your emotions restore your health and vitality under the guidance of wellness experts at australia's most awarded boutique lifestyle retreat hi i'm gwyneth paltrow and i'm back for my second beauty secrets I'm gonna walk you through a little bit of my daily routine. Oh my God, I'm having a brain explosion. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I mean, I think that's, so then this paper was really written not so much, if, if wellness is working for people, then they will just keep using it until they don't want to use it. And the danger of wellness, if you think about spiritual texts, is simply that if you put your eggs in the body basket, you will lose and that's that's the magical thinking that sustains wellness so I think because the body is going to decay and die and get old and fall apart in unfathomable ways that you cannot cope with at whatever age you are you would just be like oh but I won't let that happen to me right you know it's like if, if you're a 16 year old girl and you see a woman at the shops with a double chin, you're like, I just won't let that happen to me. I, w- I won't let that happen to me. And then <laughs> I you feel just... like I still think that even though I have a double chin. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of viciousness. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like it's so the idea that we decay is so painful and age always, you know, like the, it's the only ism, I think, that is guaranteed to get you, mm. basically. Old like, age, sickness and death. Basically. Yeah. So, you know, if you're white and you're not African-American, racism's not going to get you probably in the way that becoming older will get you, right? Of mm-hmm. course, there's cryonics. Of course, people are cutting off heads and putting them in freezers in a place near Holbrook, whatever. Like, there's all these things going what? on. and <laughs> It's another podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think so there's that idea that I think to do practices in a reasonable way that you know it means you're less bothered by something 
you know, I think that's the expression they tend to use in like cosmetic surgery. Does it bother you, right? So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. And that's okay. That's okay as well because sometimes it's like if someone's got a, a large wart on the back of their knee and you can get rid of it, then they're just not bothered by it, and then mm. they can think about other things. And yeah. I think that's highly pragmatic. Yeah. Fine. But I think the wellness, because it's so, bereft, it's sort of so um, bereft of a bigger picture, a bigger politics, a connection to truth, if we're using that Badgerian term, a connection to something that wouldn't be just me, then it, it is only going to give what capitalism ever gives in terms of its um, dissatisfying satisfactions. It can only ever do that. So mm. you're on the treadmill. If you're having fun on the wellness treadmill and the, the, the back pocket can handle it, whatever, the hip pocket can handle it, then one just whatever proceeds. But in a way, I was writing this paper, I think, with, with an eye out to very savvy, smart people with good critical faculties. So I was delivering it at the University of Melbourne to, I think, lots of, you know, sometimes young postgrads or even undergrads, and they've got an eye on this whole circus and they don't like what they see. But I think the thing that, whatever, wisdom, a few more runs on the, what is it called? Runs on the clock, I don't know. Um, runs on the board, that's, mm. that's the metaphor. Mm. You know, what I can say to them is there is a way other than rejecting all of this mm. because that is the dissenters that the system will just chew up in another way and they chew the person up because they don't have any strategies of self-organization or the strategies they choose because you know for example you know rampant drug taking is an excellent form of self-organization the drug organizes you very nicely because the push for it comes at regular intervals and you need it in order to make your week go from banal to extraordinary and back again so it's like anything we think is edgy like that for me I, I just never buy it I'm just like look I don't I don't care how much ketamine you take on the weekend it might make you free but actually it's really a part of this fabric it's absolutely knitted into the fabric it works you know snaglessly for everything to go on as it always has so I think that kind of emancipatory potential in reg I wouldn't say like experiences of drug usage but regular if, if one is regularly relying on on something and imagining that it's edgy, I think it's often not as edgy as one would hope. It's not, mm. again, because it's it's a form of self-organisation with a particular kind of cost. So the question then is, well, what else is there? Is there just like, I do my massage on Monday and I do this and that and then I talk to my, whatever. is there only that, which seems kind of pretty, pretty hard? Or are there other forms? And as I say later in the paper, it's like, yes, and we have to invent those, maybe with an understanding about what it means to kind of organize oneself and that that can't be it can't be bought off the rack right mm. in, in a sense like I, it can't be bought off the capitalist rack very well i don't think it will work that well but i think it can be kind of patched together in a kind of you know ramshackle assemblage you know to, to sort of to to gradually create a vehicle that travels us mm. at least through through the life that we have at this decade that we're living or something yeah yeah well, let's go towards that part of what you talk about. We're skipping a little bit, but let's, I'll get you to read this bit where you talk directly about forms of human organisation. Okay, thanks. And next pink bit. So there are forms of organisation a human person might engage with, subtracted somewhat from the current moment. And rejecting organisation per se 
which was just what we've been talking about, because it might seem the only that the only organisations going are wellness ones, and organising oneself is a kind of work that you have to do and pay for, etc. Now this this won't necessarily ease our predicaments. So the rejection won't necessarily ease our predicaments. It, I always think to the the work of the Ulipo artists, who we know who say that we know that when we don't work explicitly with principles of constraint that we have decided on. So just to feel, I'm sure this, the readers, in the, the listeners in this uh, in this podcast know exactly who Ulipo are. But of course, you know, they made clear that even though they were apparently working with weird constraints, like write a novel without using the letter E or whatever, they said if you if you work without principles of constraints, then we are most likely we're being worked on and activated by implicit principles of constraint of which we're not aware. So we are anyway in language constrained. So I guess Ulipo, I thought, were, were genius because they're like, no, put some really loud, obvious constraints on and they might muscle out the other constraints that are working on you behind the scenes, that are making you write a particular kind of prose, making your poems always end in a whatever, you know, a couplet or whatever happens to you in that kind of rut that, that, that organises us somehow without our choosing. Yeah. Um, and I think in any case, a human being is some form of organisation. What is lacking, I think, are ways of articulating organisations that we would choose, evaluate, consider, take up and perhaps discard. A way to manoeuvre within a thought of organisation of ourselves, playful, audacious, not too risk averse and with, at the very least, an attuned savviness to the neoliberal flavour that seeds nearby incessantly. Mm, Seeds nearby, yeah. (laughs) So... Maybe I really think that at this point listeners will be like, okay, 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 yeah, totally. I agree with you. Yes, neoliberalism bad, wellness just an extension of that. It's all evil. But I want you to start talking about like ways out, and and so maybe we can do a bit of that. But I think what you say there is really excellent in that you talk about trying things and discarding them when they don't work, and yeah. that's definitely like for a long time. I kind of when I would look back at you know, the previous five years or whatever. And I would see that I had tried something for a while and that I hadn't stuck with it. Mm -hmm. I would feel like I had failed somehow, Mm -hmm. but I'm starting to see that, well, it, it worked for a bit and then it kind of, its potency went away or Mm. I changed as a person and it wasn't really like Mm -hmm. matching what I needed anymore. So I kind of moved on from it. But when we start to talk about some of the forms of self-organization that one could try, I'm anticipating pushback from listeners, but what I want to say to people is like, this is just, just have an experimental mindset. Mm -hmm. Like just Mm -hmm. keep an open mind, just like try and just think about, I don't know if it could work yet or not. Yeah. Well, also the question is why, I'm being a bit cheeky now, but even that we assess it for working. Yeah, right. Do you see what I mean? Like, why? Yeah. What, what is it working for? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, like, so I can get what, back to the office, Antonio. Oh, I see. No, good point. <laughs> it's like I don't know what these things are for, and I, I think that's the hardest thing for us in this moment to even answer back. Like, someone's like, "Well, what's it for? What's it good for?" I'm like, "It's good for nothing," and that's why I like to do it specifically because it's good for nothing. No one will hear about it. I won't make a post about having done it. Um, it won't form an, an amusing anecdote at a dinner party because I just have a memory like a sieve and I can't remember what I've done and I have no interest in what I've done. Like I, I'm not really interested, right? This, yeah. The self-story eventually becomes really boring, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, not at every, not at every age. It's, a, it's an age thing, right? So I think that's the, 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 
whenever we're asking what something's for, it's, it's just a good moment to check, you know. I mean, yes, we do want to survive. Ideally, we would like to, I think, have the capacity to bump into some moments of joy. Not all the time, that's it. Like just to sometimes bump into moments of joy and, and also not to be... I mean, there's a few things, I think, to not be very, very afraid. Um, so my experience with depression in my whatever, what I would have called depression, and a therapist quickly just said, I think you're just afraid. And I was like, I am afraid. Mm. I'm really afraid because mm. I haven't had a stable home in years and I'm, I've, you know, have these bad encounters with people and then, you know, monies, whatever. Actually, I'm just afraid. And it's absolutely precise. <laughs> like my fear is precisely measured to some things. And so that, that, for me, I never, I never felt depressed after that because whenever it came on, I'd be like, I'm really afraid again. Oh, yes, I am. Mm. And I am afraid because someone's just said something really undermining in my workplace or a capricious boss has just made a little aside that's totally hard to read. But it, you know, one of the interpretations I could make as I can't get to sleep at night is that I'm out of favour or whatever, mm. whatever. Like, it just goes on. So I think there's fear and then there's kind of things that, don't help us with our dignity so I think those two things are, are definitely going on yeah, and I so that, that a lot lack, dignity, lack of dignity right? yeah. yeah yeah I think that so mm. so th that so in terms of working I don't actually think any of the I don't know like I don't I think those things are something we can think about sort of for ourselves or for collectives but I don't think that wellness is aimed at them like it's not aimed at seeing the world clearly. And maybe that doesn't make us well on those terms because seeing the world clearly makes you want to be an activist or makes you want to have a critique. It doesn't make you cheerful, I don't think, but it may make you joyous. You know, like that's what Badgie talks about. He's like, if you want to get happy, you might have to give up on being satisfied. And this yeah. is very psychoanalytically wise. It's wise politically. And it's like, if you buy the idea that capitalism can satisfy you if you just get the combo right, you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Ontologically, you are wrong. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it won't work. And so there has to be, and that's a long, I mean, one way to say it is like capitalism's a big, I used to think this a lot when I was younger, like capitalism's a massive playground and most of us are just falling face down in the tan bark. And we're doing it many, many times off the straight edge slide. And we're just going to keep doing it until we work out, which is what Badgie's saying, is that its satisfactions do not deliver and they cannot. They cannot deliver. Hmm. So it doesn't mean that we have to go and live in a cave. It doesn't mean anything. But we stop asking the internet shopping to give us, you know, grace or dignity or blah 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 like mm. they do something else they give you an object that you then need to take care of or then make a decision about that's it but that's not bad that's fun sometimes I like an object that yeah. I can add to my little family of objects that need to be dusted and you know washed or whatever I have to do with the object like how many pets do I want right yeah. so I think that the, the the working thing is is really interesting because I wonder it suggests that something is wrong with us and there's nothing wrong with us actually apart from you know that when you could say there's everything wrong, but there's also mm. nothing inherently wrong. Mm. And that's the kind of that's, zen position, yeah. you know, where we're all, all already perfect. 
if there's a perfection, we're, we're already it. And so mm. we don't need these things. So, but we might need a massage because we've got a sore back from standing up at a right. concert, right? But that's not wellness. I don't think it's the same thing. It's no, like, no, no. I'm going to get a massage to fix my sore back. That's it. But it's not like I'm going to get a massage and then become a better person because I'll be calmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Karma in the face of relentless um, attacks on one's dignity, sanity, uh, capacity for belief, like yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah, and also yeah, yeah. like being just being pushed around by power. Yeah, being pushed around by power. It's not very nice. Well, that that leads <laughs> nicely to the next bit. So you talk about the Korean-German thinker Byung-Chun Han, who takes Foucault's idea of the disciplinary society and then he morphs it into this idea of the achievement society. I only understand the tiniest sliver of Foucault and I hadn't heard of Han before, but those um, terms make sense to me immediately. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I had a quote that I was going to read from this page. So, whereas a disciplinary society raises criminals and the mad, so classifies people as criminals and mad people, an achievement society creates failures and depressives. One can see how the mental health we are concerned about is not madness as such, but rather depression. And I would add species of anxiety that accompany it. Wellness shows up conveniently to provide an antidote to the sick subjectivations that the achievement society structurally produces, feeling depressed and or failing to produce. Um, which I think it kind of sums up what we were just talking about. I remember you talking to us one night in class about paying close attention to the feeling, I don't want to. Do you remember talking to us about that? Sounds like something I'd say. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I thought about it for months afterwards and tried to do that, tried to just notice when I had that feeling I don't want to. And rather than, because I'm so good, like I'm such a neoliberal dream. I'm so good <laughs> at forcing myself to do shit that I don't want to do. But to actually pay attention to that little feeling and, and give it a couple of minutes at least to just sit there and be like, I don't want to, I just don't want to. Because there is a lack of dignity in forcing oneself to be like, thanks so much for getting in touch. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know if I have a question around that. Um, maybe I'll get you to read this next paragraph about Hans thinking specifically sure. that yeah. pink bit there. Yeah, he's, he's a great thinker. I think I, I found him in an art bookshop in Köln, in Cologne, in Germany. That's where you find, you know, philosophy in Germany in the art bookshop, nice. in, the, in the art museum bookshop. And, and I, he wasn't here. And then it, like it's now like it's it's he's on the rise. People, oh, cool. are, people are reading him. He's around. And oh, I think great. it's very good. The translations are coming out and it's it's really he, he's just naming some things that everyone is ready for, to have named, I think. Cool. So Han tracks a shift in dominant modal verbs. In this case, the combination of mustn't and should is displaced while remaining a foundation of the newer verb can. So can sets us up within a new imperative, a new, a new order we have to follow. And the obligation is inside of us now, appearing to come from a natural logic which suggests that whatever we theoretically can do, and this limit, of course, keeps moving, we should do. So can links to should. This dovetails with the notion of striving, which is also coded as naturally wonderful. 
To strive is to live your best life, as the disturbing saying goes. It's a value which is almost a hard limit if you test it. When I so what I mean by this testing is I'll describe now. So when I put when I have articles anonymously sent out for my work, um, I've often had blind reviews, blind referees, blind reviewers. They'll attack most violently any suggestion that striving is not obvious, virtuous, and unquestionably necessary. This is poets as well, by the way. Yeah, you said that in yeah. the talk. Yeah. Mm. So when you say in a paper. We could, we could not strive. We could not strive. And then the poets even come in and say... The kickback is... It's massive. And I just... So it's it's really under the skin. And it, mm. it means that when I say it, the person isn't a bad person. It's like I'm touching something that they have gone, I must, I must ingest and adhere to this. So striving is the way I live. Every morning I get up and I strive anew and I look for new motivation and I'm going to be da, 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 da. Mm. And mm. so it makes me understand that to, to, to suggest that there's another way other than striving is to hit a really hard limit yeah. of our ideological moment. Well, imagination too. Like I think this was the point at which the audience at the University of Melbourne started to seem really scared. And there were some questions at the end that really showed that a couple of the people in the audience were kind of terrified by this idea. Because I think it is hard to imagine outside of striving or lie down and rot, as people on the Pretty internet much. would put it. Yeah, like, that's right. It's really like yeah. the idea that there could be any verb that is um, threaded together with actions we do and then moments of rest and another action and then doing this and then getting a bit distracted and da 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 da, da. I did, there could be other verbs other, other than strive mm. like it's just one verb why why is this one verb become mm. so so important i mean obviously we've got a history of imperialism colonization western capitalism and you know greedy thieving from other people in other places of the world, right? Jonathan yeah. Swift talked about it way back when. He got it right and it's still the same, right? <laughs> so I think that's interesting. So yeah, I'll just finish the paragraph. Striving is a mode and a badge of commitment we fail to distrust enough. Striving is that which says productivity should have no ceiling, no limit. Striving suggests that you can and therefore you should disregard and move beyond any limit which presents itself, even if this limit is your own sanity, the limits of your own body, your close relationships or your life. Mm, that really upset me. Because <laughs> I was just like, how many times have I sat at my desk exhausted? Um, and this is less true these days, I'm really happy to say, but like especially in my 20s, yeah. furious, exhausted, pushing and pushing and pushing and taking it out on the person closest to me, yeah, you know, yeah, who's yeah, yeah. the who's just trying to help. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, but at least you were very, very, very good looking while you did it. <laughs> I was God. <laughs> I was adorable. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's costly. I think the the striving. I mean, of course, yeah. there's a secondary gain. I mean, people, human humans are very smart, and so they do things because at some level they're. They're like, well, I'll, I'll strive, which doesn't feel very nice, but I'll get this secondary gain. I'll, I will yeah. hoist myself higher, etc. So there's there's yeah. that question. And it could be that there's a question of when moments in your life when you should do more of it, when the, the body can take it a bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. clubbing all night, going to work on Monday morning, having whatever. This, this is all part of different moments. But I think it's, 
it's more that it's sort of it, it's why is it also called striving it just could be called going at things enthusiastically but it's the striving bit it the striving bit knows where it wants to go and I think that's the thing I'm most suspicious of at the moment it's like um, I'm writing another paper for a for a, a group book about artistic agency and um it's the idea that I would know where I'm going is very uninteresting to me mm. in a sense. Now, there's a way you can set up a direction, which, you know, it's like we're going to direct ourselves to whatever, this large city. But the idea that I sort of know where I want to go is where it all goes wrong, I think. And striving is really about the means to get to the end. Anything goes. And the end is the thing I can't let go of so it's a kind of a it, there is a sort of when I talked before about like people who lack elasticity that's all of us right sometimes we just can't bear not for it to go the way we want and that's mm. I mean I think also capitalism raises us all as brats we're just brats right we can't we can't cope with it not going our way I'm capable of managing any challenges that might arise today the love I have for my life and my loved ones are my priority Today is a good day and I have a peaceful relationship with the universe. The five minute journal. Um, this is what it looks like. This one is mine. There's a bunch of different colors that you can get, but this is the most traditional color that I'm sure you guys have all seen on every wellness Instagrammer or just every content creator in general. If you actually read the beginning part of the journal, it actually already tells you that what would make today great is you're only allowed to answer things that are within your control. So for example, you wouldn't answer like, what would make today great if it was sunny? Cause like, obviously you don't control that, but you can write something that you can do. So for example, like answer all my emails. One of the things that you say, you've said often is to go for 73%. <laughs> And I think you generally use the number 73. Yeah, why? Is it just they look nice together? Uh, well, they do look nice together. <laughs> and when I first started coming to your classes, uh, like I think it took about six months for that really to soak in because I came very much as, you know, <laughs> bizarrely somebody who had like spent 10 years meditating and had studied Buddhism at uni and like, then gone on and like done Buddhist practice in my own time and all this stuff, but still was like an epic addict to striving. Mm. Like just would kind of do a good show of like, like never missed a meditation ever, <laughs> you know, at, but like, you know, I had like a, I don't know, I probably had like a gratitude journal or some bullshit. Like I would do all the stuff in an exceptionally um, striving sort of way and then also go over into my artistic life and have like lists and spreadsheets and like got to have a certain number of poems out at any one time. So much comparison with other artists, right. like so much deadly, I would lose days. One time, oh my God, Antonia, I found out that my, my teacher at series, my spiritual teacher had published in Overland. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and I hadn't and I still haven't but like I went home and I was like I spent like a day trying to figure out how old she was <laughs> because I was like if she's younger than me oh no she's published it <laughs> I'm gonna die like I just yeah I so god I have to derail myself with my own bullshit stories um 
So coming to your classes and then hearing that thing about like just go for seventy three percent, it did take a while for that for me to really believe in that. Mm, mm. And it's good because when you teach us, you will kind of address that elephant in the room of like, now you're not going to think that this is going to make any sense. You're not going to think it's going to work. But actually going for seventy three percent, being gentle, I guess would be a shorter way to say it, does have an effect, which is still worthwhile. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the final bit of the sentence. Right? Yeah, it's that's what I'm going for. Yeah, it's it's worthwhile, but it's also I don't know. I think I think it's also the long game hmm. in the sense that I don't know. Like, there's a lot of things I'm still doing, and I did them without much competitiveness. One just because I just find it vulgar. The competitiveness. So vulgar. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah. Whatever, you know, it's, it's not a nice way to be with others. It's no. not, you know. Um, and, and it's there. It's, it's, we're so trained in it. And even if you debunk it for yourself and try and it's, it's, it's always got its tendrils. So that's just how it is. And also envy is a human. Envy, envy and competitiveness are a bit different. Like envy is a human thing. And there's many things to be said about that. But I think that the, like, if one isn't competitive, then one is thrown back on one's own desire. Because for me, competitiveness means that I don't quite know what I want. I just know that someone else appears to want this very much. And watching them want it with such gusto brings up a weird unease in me. And I just be like, I should be wanting that too as much as they. I should blah, 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 blah. Mm. And so I think a lot of it comes from, which might sort of get us back to the end of the paper, like mm. it comes back to something in us being a little bit... Um, disorganized the spiritual term which I don't even know if I like very much might be like a bit unintegrated but it has that thing to do with what Arit talks about which is staying in the middle yeah of yoga and so I think the middle relating to like the spurious question the question that is never going to be asked accurately or answered accurately because we're too complex a creature but the question of do I wanna what do I wanna do I think competitiveness becomes irrelevant because it's it's sort of it's how can there be comparison between utterly unique creatures like it, it is imprecise a bit like our last interview you know like mm-hmm. that that every life is so wildly different and distinct despite it fitting into species or fitting into whatever but really every life we found a beautiful little green cicada today that was I think it was a bit sick so oh. he was sort of cuddling my hand I was like oh, oh. He's, he's on his last legs but oh, no. he just wanted to hang on to a human um, you know like these are the, like all of our fellow creatures who we exist with right you know that we don't I don't compete with a cicada for my life experience but probably it's equally imprecise to compete whatever with another woman of my own age or something but but that's not how we see because our our brains link things into clumps and we put ourselves into certain groups so if we go to the very uniqueness of each person then competitiveness kind of makes no sense Mm. at some level and i think that's that's the problem with what i would say the disorganizing strategies or the disorganizing technologies that come with the neoliberal moment is that we're addled by it it makes us a bit kind of like bunny in the headlights we're Mm. so tired and then we're like scrolling our phones just before bed and then we're keeping our phones on so our bed can track out it can track our sleep cycle like it's out of control and so we're so addled that then in a way the desire we see represented around us in the form of people doing stuff 
is just very distracting for us as well. So in that sense of like, well, do I want to write a poem? You know, and, and you know, even do I want to publish an Overland? Yes, and it might, <laughs> it might take a good while or I don't want to or whatever, whatever, or who, you know, whatever. So I, just, I, I feel like that's, yeah. there's something about the, so that the practices with getting back to the 73% is that if one does, as you say, a reasonable amount without hitting the ceiling of aversion, that's not like a version on Triple J. It's like no, no. a version. A version. A version. Um, dvesha is the Sanskrit term. Yeah. Um, without hitting a version, then the chances of going back the next day are pretty strong yeah. because one didn't make oneself hate it. And then people go, oh, you're so devoted. You're so disciplined. It's like, I'm not really. I just don't hate it. Like, <laughs> we only need discipline when we really hate things and then we have to force ourselves to do them. Give people a break. Makes people happier. Releases stress. And when people are in a relaxed state, they're going to be more focused and productive. Looking after a family and running a business can be a bit of a juggle. I like to start the day with the energy roll-on. Lemon myrtle and mandarin help to naturally energise me. Some studies show that practising mindfulness can help build resilience, regulate emotions and develop positive ways of coping, which may help you deal with challenges and stressful situations. So it's like there's something about the, whatever number it is, 73%, 81%, doesn't really matter, that, mm. that thing that's just before you start to hate it means that you, you're happy to go back because humans are pretty we're pretty energetic when we're not sick we quite we like to do things actually so i, I don't know if that's coming back to what yeah, you yeah yeah um, no it, it the the hate because the hating it i mean there are days when i feel like i hate poetry i hate writing poems i hate anything that's coming towards me from people who actually in reality i love you know <laughs> yes. um because i'm so ground like i'm ground to a fine yeah. dust by all this stuff yeah, yeah. and that's when i end up at the doctor doing this stupid quiz it's i mean i guess this is not stupid but like you know yeah. then you do the quiz and she's like so you want to go on medication are you are you going to kill yourself like, no no can i go <laughs> Let me get you to read the last. Just because of what are we doing here? Like, what are we even, what are you doing with me? Um, we've skipped a lot, but what would you like to read from the end? Because I have a sentence here marked out, but you might want to read more, more than just that little bit. Like, where do you feel like it's a good kind of sum up point? Take your time. Like, I'll cut this you, bit out. You, you pick beautiful things. It's so nice. Maybe, may I read the, the paragraph above, actually? Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. It might be. Great. So with an intelligent nose for the problems with wellness, which, which listeners may or may not agree with, but they can think about it, we might, as we've discussed, be tempted to reject everything that looks like wellness, confusing this with any or every practice of the self, and here we have to include sophisticated histories of technologies, as Foucault has noted with his extensive lectures. So the wellness technologies that are undergirded pretty explicitly with, a, with, a, with commitments to a worldview of natural competitiveness, to ensuring against non-productivity, to, to modes of self-evaluation binarized into laziness and motivation. I think these kind of wellness technologies you could just keep an eye out for, monitor them, watch them. I think we can lose a taste for 
doing those things for those reasons. They have a very flowery mouth feel to me. So one can decide not to exist as skinless in the face of Hahn's Leistunggesellschaft, the Achievement Society. One can decide to cultivate a kind of structure. So this is the this is the third way, if you like, between wellness and you know drug addiction and not not getting out of bed. One can decide to cultivate a kind of structure, a kind of backbone that would also be the middle. And cultivating this is no child's play. This is the montage of the cue the montage music. Cue the yeah, montage. Yeah. It isn't motivating, it's very hard, and reluctance is constantly in play. You don't enjoy it, it doesn't make you satisfied. It dilutes many modes of what can be called jouissance or surplus enjoyment. It may appear to the outside eye to be warrior-like, but it definitely doesn't make you a machine. Via its testings and forays, the experimental ang angle, one slowly subtracts oneself from the idiot binary of procrastinating and productive. If one does not get caught up in the tune of living my best life, if one does not align one's idea of a person with an only bodies and languages regime, which, and if one can allow for negativities, which is what Han talks about, and these are kind of things we might be interested in, one might go looking for some agency, slippery, risky, in relation to the pathway of one's subjectivations. How do we want to conceptualize the rationale for one's activities, solo and with others? Self-improvement, whether of yourself or your team, inflected to mean the curation of snag-free neoliberal subjects, I think, is the thing we can definitely lose interest in together and more personally. I do not compete with myself as a foundational ethic, and as much as I am structurally coerced all the time to compete with others, I can decide not to cultivate a lascivious capitulation to this mode of relating, to this vision of how we could collect ourselves. Hmm. As you were reading that, I was thinking about something I used to do maybe four or five years ago, and I seem to have forgotten. It's one of those <laughs> experimental... It was an experiment that worked, and then I forgot how well it worked. I would just reach a point in the work week where I'd kind of done everything, because I was freelance and I kind of managed my own hours and time, and I'd get to a point where I was just like, I think I've done enough. And then I would leave the house with no real goal in mind. Generally, I would go to Smith Street, wander up and down, just like look at people. And poems came. Poems showed up at, at that time. Um, and it was almost like I would go out and like meet them. Oh, wow. um, Wonderful. And when I was in hanging out in New York, it was the same kind of thing, like... Um, and this, this lovely friend there and I was a bit kind of lost at one point and I was just like what would you do if you had if you had just time and, and no plans here and he just said oh I would just walk eat and read and it was so great to have him say that and I just had permission to just do that yeah. and then while I was there I did like big bits of writing and reading that I went with the intention of doing, but then found that I couldn't force myself to do it because all of a sudden I was like, no, I'm on holiday and I don't wanna. Mm -hmm. But then when I just started wandering and just, um, yeah, just stopped trying all of a sudden, the feeling came back, but it wasn't, I couldn't like go out with that goal either. I couldn't be like, okay, well, and now I'm gonna go and flaneur about and then I'll get a poem out of it because no. that sort of didn't work. No, that's right. I mean, maybe it's sort of back to the dignity thing and the 
I mean, this is a bit kind of weird. I don't know what this is. Pan species, pan materialist or something, but maybe the world doesn't like us to use it in a weird way. Mm. But it likes us to hang out with it. Mm. And then creativity happens. It's like if I go and instrumentalise my walk along Smith Street... (laughs) Smith Street goes, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> no poems for you. We could have had a nice meeting, but you just got, you just really got your striving you got pants your striving. on and you're not yeah. good company. You're yeah. crap to be around. It's all about you, 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 you. Well, I'm not noticing anything no, if I'm in no. that head. I'm like, yeah. got to write a poem, got to, Overland Deadline's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, oh my God, it's just like, I'm just embarrassing myself so much here. The flu, you should be back in bed. But you have to soldier on, soldier on with cotton, soldier on, soldier on. Now with cotton, really, you soldier on, soldier on. Cold and flu won't get us down, cause with cotton you can soldier on. Control cold and flu tablets, use only as directed. Just for my overseas listeners, that is an ad campaign from. It ran like for ages through the 80s and 90s um, for a type of cold medication. And so this this catchphrase, soldier on, is one that Australians will, will sometimes use, mostly ironically. I also wanted to play you this one. This is the most recent Codrill campaign. Pay particular attention. So it's a... It's a woman at a train station. She's heading into work. She realizes that she's sick. And then the little dinosaur on her key ring starts to talk to her. Cold coming on. Codrill time. It can't be. I have my son this weekend. Own your cold. Work from home. So at playtime, you can unlock Veronicasaurus. <laughs> Soldier on sooner with Codrill. Own your cold. Own your cold. <laughs> oh, my God. You race you. So I hope that you got something out of that. Like I really hope that you found at least one or two ideas in that conversation just to play with, just to test out, to experiment with. Yeah, as I said, very little to do with with poetry. But it has been funny to be editing this in this last week because as I'm editing it, I'm doing it in this way. Like I'm working on this episode in this way that is so, like I'm striving so fucking hard right now. <laughs> like I've got, I've got a list, I've got tick boxes, I've got all these things I want to do. Um, I'm not taking breaks. Uh, I'm being, I, I, I make this joke to people all the time, but it's not very funny. I am the world's worst boss. I don't give myself any breaks. I don't give myself any slack, uh, any leeway. I just, I just want to produce. I want to be productive. I still want these things. Um, I have to be honest about that because, yeah, as Matthew's kind of joked to me a couple of times recently, like I, I tend to come across as sort of semi-wise occasionally, but like, nah. I'm still I'm still enthralled to all this stuff. I'm so deeply enthralled to it. I can't kid myself about that. I suppose the difference between me now and me 10 years ago is that I know it's fake 
and I know it doesn't lead to anything, like I know that there is no satisfaction to be had, I will get to the end of my list today, absolutely no question. This episode will be done, it will be prepped, I will have sent the thing to David, I will have done whatever the fuck else I'm meant to be doing, I will have gone to the gym. I'm not going to feel satisfied. I'm not going to feel satisfied. I'm still going to do it, um, and I'm not really going to stop to ask why. I think I think I'm afraid that if I do, I will just um, fuck it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger.